0: If you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can go ahead and open them up to Exodus chapter thirty-one. Since we have uh, have merged two churches together, uh, I've been every time I've preached on Sundays, it seems like I've been on a, a subject or something like that, and. Um, I Haven't you know started into a book or anything? And what what I've been going over myself has been going over the names of God, and uh, we have already looked at uh, what we'd call Jehovah Nissi, if I'm pronouncing that right, which means the Lord is, is our banner or our standard. And the last time I taught, it was on Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider. And this morning, here in chapter 31, we're going to be looking at the Lord is our sanctifier. He is the one who sanctifies us. I'm going to read uh, this this passage, if I can keep up with my glasses. I'm going to read this and, uh, and go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to pick up in verse 12, and it says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you, and everyone who profanes it shall be put to death, and whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people." Father, this day, Lord, we just like to come to you and just uh, give you thanks, Father. And I pray, Lord, as your, as I try to preach your word, I pray for an abundance of grace. I pray, Father, that I could, just my thoughts I could keep them together. That, Lord, things would come out in a clear, concise way. And all, and with all that being said, my, my greatest hope and prayer. Is that your word penetrates the hearts of your people. That your word penetrates the hearts of those that may not know you. That God they could come to saving faith. And I pray Father that in all these things that you get glory for yourself. In Jesus name, amen. Why is it so important to, to understand the the names of God? We, we live in a time... And if you, you just start visiting with people, you'll, you'll hear so many people when you start... If you actually start telling about the God of Scripture a lot of times, a lot of times people get angry. And, and I'm not talking about you're your talking about things in a, in a mean way. I'm just talking about just describing God. And, and the, you, a lot of times you'll hear something like this. You'll hear something that goes along the lines of like, Well, the God I believe in would never do that. And the question is, where did you get the idea of who your God is? Real briefly, I was in a prison one time and a guy told me, I asked him how he was doing, he said, Man, I'm doing good. I'm growing, you know, I'm getting to know I'm knowing you know, I'm getting to know the Lord and so I'm really growing. And I was like, Great. And I said, You had a couple questions and I said, What were they? And he said, Well, hesitantly he finally he says, Man, I'm really struggling with, with the Bible And I said, oh, yeah. He said, Yeah, I'm really struggling, uh, that uh You know that that's God's word. And he said, and I'm really struggling with Jesus being the Son of God. Those are some pretty good struggles there, right? If you profess to be a believer. Now he told me he was he was getting closer to God and you know, he was growing, and so I just put my Bible down and I said, Well, tell me about your God. He said, What do you mean? I said, Well, you told me you were getting closer to him and I'm just wondering who he is and what are his requirements that you draw closer to him. I said, because your God is not the the God that I serve, so I just want to know who he is. He said, yeah, yeah he is. And I said, no, he can't be because you don't even believe that's his word. And so he panically says, no, 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 I do believe that's his word. I said, well, now we're back to problem one. His word tells you that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, now, that's kind of funny, but the truth of the matter is, How well do we know the God of Scripture? Today we're going to be looking at the Lord is the one who sanctifies us. You want to know what so many of our problems stem from as Christians? We don't understand God and how he has revealed himself. When we struggle with sin, when we struggle with the idea that if I sin, I'll go to hell and things like that, it's because we don't understand what God has said about how he sanctifies us. We don't understand those things. It's a, it's a lack of just understanding. So today, by the help of the Lord, we're going to look at this. And with that being said, I'm going to look, and it says, and the Lord said to Moses, now where we're picking up, church, is this. This is at the end. This is at the end in the in the record in the book of Exodus, where God has been giving Moses his commandments. He's been laying out all of the different things from the Ten Commandments to how everything is going to proceed and how everything is going to be built and who's going to be, you know, set apart for services and all of these different things. And then it says, And the Lord said to Moses, He says, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. He said, For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, church. When I went through Jehovah Nissi, the passage was pretty understandable to me. I kind of could get a clear picture of the Lord as our banner. He's our standard. When I went through Jehovah Jireh, probably even, if I can say this correctly, maybe even easier to understand than the previous one. When I started looking at the Lord sanctifies this, I looked at that and I said, what? He says here, he says, above all. He says, this is what I want you to tell my people, above all. I want you to keep my Sabbaths. And he says, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now, church... When he says, above all, he's saying it is of the utmost importance. Now, there's there's a reason why. And then he says, you're going to keep my Sabbath. Now, what he's speaking of, I believe he's speaking here of the, the weekly Sabbath rest that was given to the children of Israel. Okay? Uh, it, it was, you know, on the, the seventh day that every Sabbath the children of Israel were to, to just, they weren't to work, they weren't to do anything. They were just to simply rest and then he says this is a sign he said this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations now when god made covenants with men in the scriptures there usually was a visible sign that came along with it anybody remember what we call the noetic covenant the covenant he made with noah to put in simpler english what was the sign that god gave to noah He put a bow in the clouds. We call it a rainbow. Now, let me just show you how far and how fast people lose sight of these signs, of these these covenants that were made. God's covenant was simply this. I destroyed once the world with water. I promise you that I'm never going to do that again. And I'm going to give you a sign that every time you see this, you can remember my promise that I will never, ever destroy the, the world with a flood, with water, like that, right? How do we get things like lucky charms out of that? How do we get at the end of the rainbow is a pot of gold? Church, I mean, that's kind of humorous, but that is the covenant sign that God made with Noah and all his generations, that he would never do that again. When we see a bow, that rainbow in the sky, we should remember that God said, I will never do that. You want to see how far we can get away? Justin's a teacher over here. He's an ag teacher in Stratford. In his class one day, a bunch of the kids were talking, and they're talking on Bible things. (gasps) Yeah, that's actually legal, folks. It is legal. I, I don't care what this world tries to tell you. It is legal. But interestingly enough, one of the young ladies in the class, grown up in church, Raised up all her life, her parents, her dad's a youth pastor, her granddad is the pastor. I mean, this girl probably knows her stuff pretty decently. And something was talking about the flood, and there was like, man, do you think it will ever happen again? And Justin goes, no. And this young lady says, how do you know? And he looks at her, I'm not going to call her by name, but he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, you ever seen the rainbow? She goes, and she, you know, and, it, and she knew, but she had just forgot. That's why God gives us these things. Well, that's the, that's the, the covenant with Noah. Anybody remember the covenant he made with uh, Abraham and the, the sign that he was going to make with them? He said, Every male every, is going to be circumcised. It's going to be the covenant sign between me and you and your generations. We come to the, Moet, the, the, the covenant of Moses here in the law, and he said, This Sabbath is going to be the sign that I set before between me and you, that you will do this weekly and you will remember what I have done for you. There's the, the covenant with David. Now, interestingly enough, the visual sign of the covenant of David was what? He says, you're your offspring, right? What is the, the culmination of the offspring of David? What is that sign? That's Christ the Lord Himself. Amen. We come to the new covenant. And he says, This this bread, my body, is, is given for you. He said, This blood, drink it in remembrance of me. He says, He says, This is the blood of the new covenant. The new testament is it's in my blood. So we have these signs, and that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I want you to keep these Sabbaths, and it will be a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Isn't it amazing what the Jews did with the covenant? I mean, with the Sabbath how that it had got to the point that when they would accuse... You ever notice when you go through the Gospels, Jesus did a lot of miracles on the Sabbath. And I don't think it was a random, oh man, here we are at the Sabbath again and I did this. What were they constantly accusing Jesus of doing? You broke the law, you broke the Sabbath. Things such as, you healed that man on the Sabbath. How dare you? Jesus looks at him and he says, what do you do when you have an ox that falls in the ditch on the Sabbath? You call your friends, you get the ox out of the ditch. He says, what do you do when a child is born on the eighth day of circumcision falls on the Sabbath? You, you circumcise the child in order to keep the law. And he finally tells him this. He says, you don't understand. And he said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. And there's something we're going to get to in this, of what that really is, is pointing to. But I want to look at, uh, we're going to look at what it is to be sanctified. In verse 13, because that's what we're talking about, he says that you may know that I, the Lord, I sanctify you. Now the word sanctify... Is uh, it's a word and it's it's spelled a couple different ways and I'm not sure exactly where they get these but you could say the you could say Jehovah Mekadesh or Jehovah Kodesh uh, The Kodesh is is the word for holy interestingly enough the word for holy and sanctify is the same word now what he's saying here is because we don't have a word that's called holify okay there's no word there's no English word that says that. He's basically saying, I, the Lord, am going to make you holy. I'm sanctifying you. The word actually means this. It means to mark off. I remember the first time I read that. I'm reading about the word holy, and I'm expecting this incredibly, you know, just emphatic definition. It says to mark off. I was like, what? Well, you have to do a little more research. It means to mark off. It means to set apart or separate unto holiness or for holy use or holy purpose, it means to make holy and what and what he 's saying is he's saying, "I am setting you apart, I am marking you off from everything else I'm, I'm going to make you holy i'm going to make you separate from all of the rest of the world and I want to show you this in the old testament if you if you want to turn with me. I'm going to go to a few places, but I'm going to show you what he's speaking of here in the Old Covenant. In in Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6, listen to what he says. in, In what he's dealing with here, he's dealing with covenant slash conditions. He says, on the third day, or he says, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And they set out from Rephidim, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness, and there Israel encamped before the mountains. And while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now, therefore, now listen, he says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." He said he's just about to start giving. He's laying down the law, if you want to put it that way, and he's saying if if you keep if you keep the rules the commandments that I'm giving you this day, what does he say? He says you. He says you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, church. Do you, do you ever consider who you are? Treasured, peculiar, holy, different from everybody else in the world. Not in a sense of some lofty arrogance. But a, a strong sense of humility that translates into honor and adoration and worship and praise and glory. That God would set his affection and his love on you and separate you from everything else. That's incredible. That's incredible. You turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm going to probably pick up in verse 6. There's a lot that you could read in this. I'm trying to to, to condense it as much as I can for time's sake. But he says this again. He, He kind of picks up right there where we left off. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And he says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Kind of what we're talking about. And he says, and it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples folks let me tell you something we may not be big but that ain't always a bad thing now, is it huh even how we value numbers and we think that's the most important and we think that's probably the most blessed and I'm not saying that they're not blessed and all those types of things but it ain't always necessary to just translate into this is who the blessed are but listen He's saying it wasn't because you were the largest, the most. He said, you were the fewest of all peoples. That's not why. He said, that's not why I chose you. He said, but it is, listen to this, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, I could go on. The point is this. God has sanctified his people, not because of any worth that you had. Now, I may make you feel bad. That's not my point. My point is not to make you feel bad. My point is to exalt God and make you really glad in your heart that God looked down amongst all the multitudes, and he set his eyes on you, his affection, his love on you, and chose you. Okay? Okay? So the second one was, he chose us because or he chose... He, dealing here, he said, because he loved them. And then we flip back over to Leviticus chapter 20. This will be the last one i read out of this. Then we're going to go to the New Testament. But in, in, in Leviticus 20, we're going to pick up in uh, 22. They Listen to this. He says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I'm driving you out before before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. And I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. And you shall therefore separate the clean beasts from the unclean the unclean bird from the clean, and you shall not make yourself detestable And and he goes on and then in 26 he says you shall be holy to me for i the lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine now the third thing we're going to look at right here is they were to be separate from the nations around them church we are living in different times in america the church 50, 60 years ago would not recognize a lot, much of what we call the church today. Today we live in a time when it's hard to tell the world from the church. We find that the church is trying to look more like the world in order to appeal to them. You know, Paul brought up this morning about how, I thought it was excellent, I thought it was excellent what what he said. He, He said, you know, how that... Well, we don't want to use the Bible to try to talk to people because, well, they don't like the Bible. The, the, the Word of God calls the Bible our sword, it's our weapon. And he gave the illustration. Can you, imagine, can you imagine going to war and saying, well, the enemy doesn't like our guns, so I'll leave it here. Nobody's doing that. We're not, our goal is not to try to appeal to, to a lost and dying world. Now, when I say that, I mean appeal to them on their terms. We, talk, we are to appeal to them the way that our God has instructed us to appeal to them. And guess what? It is in the use of His Word. It is in the use of proclaiming and preaching and teaching and discipling. All of these, by the world's standards, very uncool things. We are to be different. We are different. I'm, I'm sorry to inform you, but if you're a true believer, you're different because God has made you different. Quit trying to be like the nations that He called you out of. And I'm not talking about that separatist, we're exclusively over here in a dark corner, we're only ones going to heaven, and God help us if we ever tell anybody about it. I've been in one of those groups. So, God made a covenant with his people. He sanctified them. He said, I've got a Sabbath that I'm going to give as a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I've given you this Sabbath. I've made it holy for you. And he says, listen to this, he said, you shall keep the Sabbath, because this is back to Exodus thirty-one, fourteen, because it's holy for you. And listen to this, he says, everyone who profanes it shall be put to death, and everyone who does work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Now, when you just read that, you're going to read, I think, I can't remember where it's at. It seemed like it might be Jeremiah or somewhere. It's in one of those books in the Old Testament, I know that. But a man went out on the Sabbath. And he was gathering up sticks, and the Lord put him to death. And you read that stuff, and this is the stuff I'm kind of talking about. It's like, whoa, wait a second. God killed a man because he picking up sticks? Yep, he did. And that's where you get thing. the God I serve would never do that. Well, if that's true, then I don't know who the God you serve is, but he's not the God of Scripture. He's not the one true God. But as we go on, we're going to look at that a little more in depth. Now, when you look at that, you go, "Wow, man, this this seems uh, it's, it's pretty serious what God is is wanting here." But before I get into this next part, I want to read to you the new covenant. Okay, I just want to read that. It's about three or four verses in Jeremiah thirty-one, and you don't got to turn there. Just listen. If you want to get ahead of me, go to go to First Peter one nine. This is the new covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He says, My covenant that they broke, he says, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Now, the children of Israel didn't remember the covenant. What was the stipulation? If you keep my commandments, if you obey, if you keep my Sabbaths, then you will be my treasured possession. You'll be a people unto me, right? Holy, peculiar, different, right? They, they, they didn't keep the law, did they? So much of the time, people view the law, the Old Testament side, you know, the left side of your Bible is just harsh and cruel. Why, why couldn't the people keep the law? Was it because the law was too difficult? no they couldn't keep the law because of the sin that dwelt in their flesh do you know that actually the law stimulates you to sin more in in your sinfulness anybody ever been on a college campus and they got this very well-groomed grounds and you see these signs every so often it says stay off the grass right what does that make you want to do you're going to cut that corner no matter what just because somebody told you not to do it. They didn't keep God's covenant. But here's a new covenant. And Listen. He says, for this covenant, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. Listen. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now, you'll notice one thing about this new covenant, the stipulations. You don't have much of a part, do you? God's saying, I will do this. I will, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to tell you something. Your salvation, if this much is left to you, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. I'm just going to tell you. It will not happen. God, he said he doesn't put his trust in his Holy One. He's not going to put his trust in you for your salvation. The only one that God can trust is his Son with your salvation, okay? Now, if you're over there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, let's read that. Because we're going to look at what sanctification looks like to the New Testament saint. I might have said 1 9. I might have meant 2 9. Sorry. Yeah, I don't write the right numbers down. Okay, listen to this. It's going to sound similar to what we have been talking about now. In chapter 1, Peter, in the last part of chapter 1, he's talking about about being holy in our conduct, in our life. Us to be holy because our God is holy. And, you know, this is over like you look at about 14, 15, 16. And he says, like in 16, for it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what's he saying? You shall be separate. You shall be different from this world. Now, listen, being different from the world is sanctification and holiness is not just simply about not doing sinful things. It's not just about separating yourself from that. But it's about turning and being used for God's holiness. Okay, you're now a holy vessel, and now God is going to use you, that vessel, that sanctified holy instrument, for his purpose. Okay, so you have people in life that they just don't do all these things, and they think that they're somehow holy or righteous, and that's not what God's talking about. It's not what he's talking about. But listen to what he says, and he gets on down here in chapter 2, and we pick up in verse 9, and he says, in contrast to those who are stumbling, probably primarily speaking to the Jews, that they believed the law, they believed all these promises until the actual realization, the, 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 the reality of that whole types and shadows that the New Testament was, when the reality showed up, Christ himself, they stumbled at the stumbling stone. But he goes back to those who are believers and he says, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, listen, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here we are. We are this... Chosen race. You go to Ephesians chapter 1, and you look at all those things, how God has chosen you, how God predestined you. He elected you. He sealed you with the spirit of promises, the guarantee that you are his possession. And he says, you're you're this chosen race, this royal priesthood. Our priesthood... Is so much better than the priesthood. There, our high priest is Christ Himself. We don't you know what our, our offerings are to the Lord today? Well, first we offer our body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Now, you know what's crazy about that phrase, a living sacrifice? It's alive. Okay? Now here's the thing, here's the real, I don't know what word I'm trying to look for right now. But in order to be that living sacrifice means you have to die. You have to die to self in order to live unto and for Christ. See, a living sacrifice, a dead sacrifice can't climb off the altar, can it? A living sacrifice can maybe crawl off there. And if that's the case, then you haven't died to self, you haven't died to sin, right? But he says we're to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy, separate, sanctified for the master's use, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. It's not above and beyond measure. It is not being a radical Christian, someone who does this. That is normal Christianity. And if you're going, wow, then that means you're in subpar Christianity don't feel bad. You're hearing this today. Raise the bar. Christ is worthy. And he says we're, oh, and the other way that we offer up these, these where this royal priesthood and these sacrifices, we offer up the, the fruit of our, our praise, our, our, the fruit of our lips in the old King James, the sacrifice of praise. We offer up praise and worship and adoration to our God. And it's not just in songs. It's not just in this. But it's where you are. It's like Paul was talking to us today, that we don't back away. I mean, we don't shy away from telling people about the very God who has chose us and saved us and sanctified us. We, we proudly display I don't know if proudly is the right word, but we do it with such an, a zeal and a joy. We should be. We should not be backing away or apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm a Christian. Well, I'm not sorry I'm a Christian. I'm really not. I am so thankful that I'm a Christian. And he says we're a people, or a holy nation. This this nation, you remember that time when they said, you know, put up your sword. He said, man, if if, if I was of this world, he says, then my servants would fight. We're in a nation that's not marked off by boundaries and such. Not a mass of land here or there. We are a holy nation. We are a holy people unto the Lord because he has separated us. He has sanctified us. He says, a people for his own possession. That you, now listen, that you may proclaim. This is why God has done these things. This is why he's called us to who we are. He says that we may proclaim his excellencies. That we may go and tell the world. We may share that with one another. He said that's 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 why we're, that he's done this for us. He says that he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should, that should be of the utmost importance. That should be at the, the, the forefront of your thoughts of what you are, who you are, and what you want to be doing. I'm not going to sit here and lie and just tell you that's always the easiest thing to do. And sometimes we shy away from it so much we can't wait to get to church where we feel like we can freely discuss these things where it's all accepted. My encouragement to you is stand strong, brethren. Stand strong. God has called you. He's sanctified you. So with that being said, how does God actually sanctify us? Well, in 1 Peter 1, 2... He says this, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God, this is First Peter, just back up one chapter and you'll be there. Chapter 1, verse 2, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, did you catch that part? He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ... The Holy Spirit has sanctified us. It has called us. It has singled us. It's, it's almost like you watch when when you're when uh, you know you see people with cattle or something, and they're after this one calf. I mean, they're working this thing out to where it finally they get this one calf, the one that they're looking for. It's it's in, it's cornered up. The Holy Spirit, listen, you're not going to escape, escape the Spirit of Grace when He's after you. He's going to single you out. You know all those things. You look back in your life sometimes, and you go, "Man, I was—I went through this, and I—I I hated God." You hear these testimonies sometimes, and it's like I ran here. I went to drugs. I went to prostitution. All of these things, and the whole time, the Holy Spirit was just on your trail, singling you out. You're going through these things, and you're—and finally, He gets you to that place where you just cry out, "God, save me." We're sanctified, we're set apart, we're made holy by the spirit in in John 1717 17, he says this Jesus is praying to the Father, obviously and he says this he says in 17:17 17, 17, he says sanctify them in the truth and he says your word is truth And folks listen, these two things right here, we're sanctified by the Spirit, and we're sanctified by His Word. It is incredible to me how so many people will say that I'm a believer, and they have no clue what the, what the Word of God says. I thought it was interesting today, when, when, when Paul said that there's people that say, well, let's don't use the Bible to talk to, the, to somebody that says they're an atheist or whatever. Let's just, let's just you know, use creation, And conscience. Well, you know where you get that idea, creation and conscience? You get it right out of the book of Romans. So somewhere in there, you're going to have to use the Word of God. And so what happens when we get into the Word of God is it's amazing. I just love it. You know, when when so many people, they start off and they don't believe, and they're going to check this book out. Like Paul said this morning, this book's not like any other book. You start off, you're going to examine it. And before you realize it, you're feeling something. This thing is flip-flopped, and now you're the one being examined. You have the Word of God, and you have the Holy Spirit that are marking you off. Not like marking you off, but separating you. Let me make that clear. You're the one that's under the examination. And people want to slam that thing shut, or they can't get enough of it. Or it's really troubling them, and they hate it, and they just can't. They just gotta open it back up. But as believers, as we go through this life, we're we're being sanctified, and what happens is we'll be reading and then we'll you know we had some visitors a while back that were here about a month ago, because I think it was the last message I preached, and a guy came up to me and he said, I've read that passage I don't know how many times, hundreds of times, and he said, I never saw the gospel in that passage. It's amazing. You can read. You can thank you. Listen, this sermon today, it's probably not very good. (laughs) And you might be agreeing with me right now. But I'm saying that there's so much more could be said about that the Lord is the one who sanctifies us. There's so much more. It could go so much deeper. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10 listen to this. I'm going to start with ten one. to listen to this. He says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are offered, that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Now, the point I'm trying to get across there is this. When you go back in the Old Testament and you're looking at the law, you're looking at Uh, the sabbath you're looking at you know um, the circumcision you're you're looking at all of these sacrifices that were being offered you're looking at the high priest going into the holy of holies one time a year all of these things were a shadow of the reality that we can enjoy today And, and and this is what the book of hebrews is dealing with the whole book of hebrews is yes, angels are mighty, but no, none of them are like Christ. You know, the law was good, but Christ, the law of Christ is much better. There was a, a priesthood that was glorious, but Christ's office is much more glorious. It was here's this Christ is much more. It's over and over and over. Okay, and so he says, and, and these Hebrews, these Jews were wanting to go back into the shadow and not stay in the reality. And let me just give you an example. I don't know who, you know, if, you like, if you're a sports fan or something, I used to think of it like this. Man, when, back in the day, Michael Jordan was much bigger than like a Steph Curry is today or a LeBron James. You could Those two guys combined didn't have the popularity Jordan did. And I can only imagine if you were somewhere around and everybody knew, I mean, you see his, you know, the silhouette of his, you know, you just knew it when you saw how he looked, even if it wasn't a real picture. You knew that was Jordan. Well, can you imagine being somewhere and you see somebody standing there and you know that's the way Jordan stands. You're about to come out onto the court. Can you imagine how your heart would race? I mean, Jordan is right there. I mean, there's a shadow. Well, nobody's going to keep hanging out with the shadow when the reality of the man steps out there. You're no longer looking at that shadow. But you're looking at the reality. So he gets over here in chapter 10, and I'm going to pick up in verse 12, or I'm going to back up to 11. Listen. Well, actually, he talks about, he says, I've come to do your will, O God. In verse 7 and 8 and 9, and he says, in 9, he said, he added, he says, Behold, I've come to do your will. And he says, He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And then he says in verse 10, he says, and by that will, that will, the will of the Father, this New Testament, he says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, did you hear that, Christian? If you're a believer in Christ, then you can know today that when Jesus Paid for your sins. Not only did he pay for your sins, he lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He became the substitute where you should have died. He was your substitute. He paid your sin debt with his very own blood and life. And then he rose again after three days for your justification. And by faith, you are sanctified. Positionally, you are God's holy people. Forever. Okay? That is your position in Christ. The only way that you can lose that is if Christ loses his holiness. Other than that, it is impossible. So, it's impossible. Then he says, Now, this is the practicality of your life. This is what we call, we've been sanctified, we've been set apart, we've been made holy. And in our life, on a daily basis, God is still sanctifying us practically. Positionally, this is who you are. Practically, do you look like you're holy all the time? No, but God is purging you. God is refining you. How? How? Through His Spirit, through His Word, you can put this all together. I used to hear, the church I used to belong to, we would preach hard and heavy. Philippians 2, 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to work it out. It's amazing why we stop reading at certain verses and never read any further. Because the next verse says this. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, what's he saying? Work out your salvation. Work, labor. Oh, and by the way, it's God who's putting those things in your mind. You're reading his word. The Holy Spirit's opening things up to you. And the things he's putting in there to do, God's giving you the ability to do it. And it's for his good pleasure. God is our sanctifier. He is the one who sanctifies us. Now, my question to you is this. I always fall behind on my notes. So why, why, why in back in Exodus chapter 31 did God give them the Sabbath as a sign between him and them that they would know that he is the Lord who sanctifies them. What is the connection there? Well, you need to know this. If you got your Bibles still open, go over to chapter 4 of Hebrews. Sabbath was what? It was a day of rest. When God had created everything in those six days, he got to the seventh day and he saw that everything he made was good. And it says, and God rested on the seventh day and he made that day holy. It was set apart. It was different than all the other days. What was the Sabbath really for, for the people of Israel back in those days, the people of God, which was the nation of Israel? Why was there a Sabbath day? Was the day just simply so that they just didn't have to work? I mean, there's a lot of people that are still sabbatarians today, and I don't mean Christians. They look forward to Sunday, you know, I it ain't gonna work today, you know, no work. But they're gonna drink, you know, golf, play, you know, watch football, you know, fish something. It's their day. They're just not working, it's their day. There's four rests that the Bible deals with. There was the creation rest in Genesis chapter 2. There was the Canaan rest, which was what we're dealing with in Exodus, to where God was taking them to a people that he wanted them to rest. I mean, this whole thing with Moses was, you're going to go to a land that I'm prepared for you. You're not going to have to build cities. You're not going to have to... Everything is going to be there and it's going to be set up for you. And you're going to enter into this rest. And then there was a rest that David spoke of when he's referring back, actually, to the rest that he dealt with in Canaan. he says, today, and we're going to look at these in chapter 4. And then there's what I call in the new covenant, the the rest, the, the reality. It's what all the others were really pointing to. So let's look at that. In chapter 3, he's talking to the people here, and God says that, he says, I'm going to pick up in three seven, he says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, now listen to this, today, if you hear his voice, where's this coming out of? This is coming out of, of, of Psalm 95, and he says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. And I want to make a point here. A lot of people use a passage like this to say, see, you can lose your salvation. These were God's people. He saved them out of Egypt. They went through the wilderness, and then they didn't enter into the promised land, right? And they'll say, see, you can lose it. But if you pay close attention, what did he say? He said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. What he's saying is, they never knew me. They never knew me. And he said, And as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called a day, that none of you may be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I want to skip on down to verse 18. And he says, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to, to enter because of unbelief. Now my question to you is, wh- why did God give them a Sabbath there in Exodus 31? Why Why did he say this will be a sign? See, this is, a, this is what I think that the children of Israel, or the majority of them especially, never really understood. God had made a day where those people could cease from all their labors and they could simply come and fellowship in communion with the Lord their God, the one who had chose them, the one who had separated them and said, You are my treasure. You are my special people. And they never understood it. It came to the place where you know, Jesus takes mud, he takes some clay, he spits on it, he makes mud, and he smears it in a man's eyes. And they accuse him of, like, kneading dough or something. You worked on the Sabbath. They couldn't see that here's a man who's been blind from his birth. And God has performed a miracle. They couldn't see through that because they were just trying to keep a rule that we don't do nothing on the Sabbath. It was never meant for us to do nothing on the Sabbath. It was meant for us to worship and draw close. God was saying this, I am God. I am sovereign. I am the one who provides for you. I am your standard. I am sanctifying you just rest don't worry you can just focus on me don't worry about gathering sticks i'll provide i'll provide the right temperature i'll provide the food don't worry about it and he says therefore verse 4 chapter 4 1 he says therefore while the promise of entering into his rest still stands Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, I want to show you something. The people he's writing to, do you know why if they failed to reach it? Do you want to know why they failed to reach it? It's because they turned back from the teaching that they were getting about Christ is the fulfillment of all of these things that you've been doing and practicing. And now you're going to turn back to the shadow? You're going to turn back and you're going to bring your turtle dove or whatever sacrifice it is. You're going to do all of these things again. Do you remember over in Exodus, he says, anyone who profanes my Sabbath or anyone who works on that day will be put to death. God, Listen, church, when God, when God in the generation, in the in the beginning, the giving everything life, he rested from his work. And he blessed that day in the regeneration when Christ went to the cross. And he said, it is finished. Here's the real Sabbath. You want to enter into the real rest? It's to enter into Christ. And his rest and his labor It's not yours. You're not doing anything to get to heaven. He says, listen, the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They heard the message, but they turning they turned from it. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Right there we see three different rests. The rest that he's speaking of now, he says, the rest that the children of Israel didn't enter into, and then he says, even as the rest that I, after I created everything, that I rested. It's, 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 it's all pointing to the same thing. And then he says, For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter into it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. And again, he appoints a certain day. And this is where he's quoting David. He says, today, saying through David, so long afterward. Now, what he's saying is, David is, is writing this in the Psalms hundreds of years after when they failed to go into Canaan. And David says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your, your hearts. You know what David's saying? Even hundreds of years after they failed to enter Canaan, David is saying, don't harden your hearts now. Right now you can enter into that rest. Don't harden your heart. And he says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, people divide up into camps on this. Some will say this is speaking of those who have died and gone to heaven, and others will say, no, this is speaking of believers today. I believe it's all one and the same. I believe that if you're a believer today, you have entered into that true rest. You have entered into that true Sabbath of God, which I believe is Jesus Christ. You've entered into his rest. And when this life is over, you will be in the part where we are no longer being sanctified. We are no longer being made holy. We have entered into his glory forever and ever. And he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You, you, take, you take the word belief. What? That seems like it would be easy, doesn't it? I've told this many times, but it's such a strong, powerful illustration. My, my ex-brother-in-law was working with him on a job. And this guy was, when he was younger, he would have been in the dictionary. If it said party animal, he would have been the picture over to the side of it. Great big old guy, big beard. He's just a burly guy, all the time laughing and just, you know. And through the years of drugs and drinking and prostitutes and i mean he he told me so i couldn't even get begin to give you a number of the prostitutes i've been with and he looked like a just a broke down old english bulldog i mean he was just a shell of what he used to be and i was just preaching the gospel to him every week and one day we were sitting outside he was just tired he was sitting on a five-gallon bucket His head was hanging down, and I'm going over the gospel with him again, and he said, so you're telling me, he looked up, he says, so you're telling me all I have to do is go to church, pray a prayer, and ask God to save me, and I'll be a Christian, and I said, no, I said, you don't even have to go to church. I said, right here, man, on that bucket, you can repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ and he'll make you a new creature. He just dropped his head and he shook it. And he said, I just don't believe that. I preached his funeral with not much hope. I preached the gospel to him one last time when he was pretty much in a state of a coma. He never came out of it. To labor, I think simply is this. You just believe. How tragic. How tragic on that day. You don't know how many times I've looked back and I thought, man, all you had to do was say, God save me. And he would have entered into that rest. And today he would be in that eternal rest. But I fear that's not the case. In Matthew chapter 11. The end of chapter 11. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 28: He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're still walking around in unbelief, you're feeling that labor, you're feeling that burden, how long are you going to carry it around? Listen to what he goes on and says. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How long are you going to keep carrying this burden of guilt and shame? And and you keep putting on a front that says, I'm too proud to tell anybody I'm not really a believer. I mean, you've been going in circles. You've been yoked to something you shouldn't be yoked to. And you keep winding up in a ditch after ditch. You keep running into wall after wall. You're frustrated. Sometimes you shake your fist at God. And the whole time Jesus is saying, Come to me. You that are laboring, and I'll give you rest. It's incredible how people hate Jesus. It's satanic. I mean, serious, it's satanic. You bring up the name of Jesus, oh my gosh, man, you'll get a cussing out sometimes. You're out of the street evangelizing. I'm not speaking from something I don't know. I know that from Experience. And yet, Jesus is still saying to that person who's given me that profanity-laced rebuttal, saying, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Some of you believers, you're still trying to do things on your own. You're still trying to be accepted before God, and you're not understanding that God has said, I have chose you, I have placed you, I've separated you, I have sanctified you, I have made you my holy possession. Quit referring to yourself the what who you used to be and start seeing yourself as to who God says you are. So much of the time you look at adoption. We got a little boy that's adopted, doesn't, doesn't look like my other kids, doesn't act like my other kids, but in all reality, he's our child, and it does not matter that he wasn't born with our name, he has our name now. It doesn't matter that he wasn't a part of our home, he is now. It doesn't matter that he didn't have an inheritance. may not work out great for him on that, but he does now. Because we set our affection and our love on him. And we said, we're going to make you our own treasured possession. Your God is the God who has sanctified you So I'm talking to two people. Know who you are in Christ. Know this God who has called you. Know him by his names. And if you don't know him today, he is telling you, come to me. Lay the burdens down. You go read the book of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. The, the, the main character christian in the book he's got this huge burden on his back and he finally comes to a gate jesus said it's a it's a it's a it's a narrow pathway the the gate is small and the pathway is is is, is tight and it's restrictive you're not going to go through it with all of those burdens he's saying you're going to have to drop them at the cross only you are able to go through. Get rid of them. And how do you get rid of them? You look to Christ. The only one that can make you holy. The only one that can separate you for his love and his purpose. Our worship team can come on up. I'm going to pray. Father, this morning, God... I want to come to you, and I pray, Lord, that if nobody else gets anything out of this, God, help me too. Oh, God, I feel so unworthy. I want to pray for everybody here, and I ask you, Lord, that you would, uh, God, that you would penetrate our hearts. I pray that you'd take, you know, I know I read a lot, and I shouldn't even have to apologize for that at your word, but God, take whatever confusion I might have made it into with my own wording, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would take it and take your words and implant it in our hearts and our minds with a clear, concise message. You are the one who has made covenant with us. You are the one who keeps the covenant for us. You are the one who has set your affection on us. You are the God who has sanctified us. Let us proclaim your excellencies. How that you brought us out of a darkness into a light, your marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen.